All right, we're here with the Mental Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dunn, co-host Fran Ramsden, and today we want to talk a little bit more about this coronavirus. Um, obviously, it's on everyone's mind. Uh, what we wanted to talk about more so today is um, the, the divide that's been happening recently among people. Um, it's got more extreme in our opinion, um, and here in PA, where we're at, Pennsylvania, April 20th was a protest. I know there have been other protests around the nation. Um, we wanted to focus more on the local one to us today. Um, we know that it applies more general, but we kind of wanted to look at the arguments on both sides because what we've been noticing is that each side is sort of talking past each other. And we feel that each side has legitimate concerns, but the other side is sort of ignoring them. And if we don't take them seriously, uh, we can't have that actual conversation. And if you don't know what the other side's thinking, you, you can't really change their mind. So we kind of want to look at each side's actual concerns today and try to get people to understand where they're coming from. Um, so if, uh, I don't know if you want me to start it off, Fran. I don't know if you had any comments to, to begin with. Um, but yeah, I so guess, I got some input yeah. off the get-go. Uh, yep, I'm on. It's a beautiful day in Pittsburgh. So I'm on the porch again. Yes, there's some sun. Got some nice hair floppage right here in the front. Uh, probably gonna have a little bit of sunburn. Uh, so, you know, that's where I am. If you hear cars going by, again, that's what it is. Uh, in terms of this conversation, this is a great, this is a great conversation. We're really excited about today because um, I think it is so meaningful to have this conversation and do it properly. And so the context that I would beg the audience to do along with us, uh, certainly we're gonna have to address it in some capacity, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how, how it'll play out exactly, but I, I think this is a good tip, is if you are trying to create your own opinion on this, right? So when we get into the details and we kind of go through the pros and cons of this whole concept of, hey, we need to get the economy going. Hey, we need to make sure we're in lockdown to prevent the spread even further. To have that debate on those two extreme ends, one little tip, try to remove President Trump from your opinion. So he's a polarizing figure. What most people I see a big error when they come to discuss this topic is they make it about him. So, you know, oh, well, you know, and again, it's on both sides, but they try to use him as leverage to bolster their own opinion. And I think that that's wrong. So the first thing you got to do is try to get this thing when we're talking about the facts, when we're talking about what's actually happening, just do yourself a favor, take out the emotion, take out either your disdain uh, for the president or your uh you know, your loyalty, take it out and try to talk about this issue level headed. Cause I think that's where you get this error where people are talking past one another is because it becomes political. And I think right now uh, in our country, anytime you talk about a political discussion, people just jump to the one of the two sides. And uh, that is a great recipe to always talk, talk past one another. So I'm game with whatever direction you want to take it, but that's kind of my opening statement, my opening, uh, my opening asterisk on this conversation, uh, obviously, I, you know, and again, we, the way we do this show is it is not super scripted like this, you know, Mike prepares and has like a layout of what we're doing, but oftentimes it's just our commentary and where the conversation flows. So if we do get into, you know, President Trump's responses or his, or his potential options, it's one thing, but I want to make sure I'm very clear on this. If we're talking about this idea of, well, we need to open up the economy or no, we don't, or, you know, something in between, just do your best, take out the polarizing figures. And that way we, we you know, we're able to have a great foundation, have a conversation. 
Yeah, and I'm actually really glad that you brought that up, and I think that, it, in fact, for the rest of this conversation, I don't know, I mean, it may come up again, but I don't think that we mm. need to even mention Trump again. So I think that, like, we can right. talk about these ideas, right, without the people, um, and I don't think he's even a necessary player in this, right? Like, that's the other thing, at least for PA, you know, if we're talking about the specific protests in PA, which... Again, we can get into all the general things. We don't want to limit it just to this area, but um, you know, it's not really much of his concern anyhow. It's a state by state issue, but um, and we want to get more into the what we want to present to people is the idea of how to look at a situation. Um, and again, getting past those polarizing figures and actually looking at the idea, not the people, is the first step. Um, <clears throat> so I think we should start by sort of looking. At the general concerns of each side and then what's the other side is portraying right because that's the real problem that's happening one side has legitimate concerns the other side is ignoring that and painting a completely different picture and that's happening on both sides so um, for easy terms of use we'll go with protesters and uh, counter protesters um, and again, that's the, you don't have to actually be there. Uh, these are just two different sides that, that we're talking about. Um, and I do think that both have legitimate concerns. On the side of the protesters, the concern mainly, it, it's multifold, but mainly would be the economy. So when the economy comes into play, it's not greed, which is sometimes the picture that's painted. Uh, it's that the, if our economy crashes, there's ripple effects that when people are out of work and can't put food on the table, don't have a roof over their head, that's a legitimate concern as well. And their lives are endangered as well. So just like we have to worry about people being sick and dying, we have to worry about people dying from other means. It's a ripple effect of not being able to pay their bills. So that is a legitimate concern. And these people aren't evil for thinking that way and thinking of themselves. It's the same concern that the counter-protesters have, just it's you know, um, towards themselves, right? Because it's themselves who can't put food on the table, support people. Um, so that's a real concern. The other concern um, is trust. And that comes into two categories. So there's people who distrust the government and their intentions. And often they're labeled as conspiracy theorists and many of them are conspiracies some of those concerns even may be legitimate right and I don't want to get into that rabbit hole I think and this is another good practice that people can learn is for the sake of argument let's even grant them that point right let's just say okay there might be a couple people who are trying to take advantage of the situation and we've already seen examples of that we've had some Congress people who sold their stock when they first heard about it we're having meetings and we're telling everyone else the economy is gonna be fine and they were able to make money before the economy crashed so you know there's there's reason to think that and that's fine but most people the counter protesters aren't these mass conspiracy theorists they're not or, or aren't involved in this grand conspiracy they have legitimate concerns too so <clears throat> aside from just the trust on the government right let's assume that their intentions are good the other issue is the competency right the people are out of work they're being told they can't work and they're not getting unemployment checks the system's overwhelmed and 
it wasn't prepared for something like this, which is understandable, but people don't trust the competence aspect of it. So even if they don't think there's bad intention, they don't think that the government can deliver on what it says it's going to do, even if it wants to. Um, so those are the main concerns of the protesters. The main concerns of the counter-protesters that I've seen, again, um, I don't want to speak for all of them, but from what I've seen and heard, um, the main issue on their, on, that's on the protester side. On the counter-protester side, it seems to be, uh, it's definitely overwhelming the healthcare system, right? And the reason it's getting misunderstood by the protesters is they're looking at things that there's conflicting information. They're saying, well, this isn't as deadly as other things. Uh, so why is it a big deal? And again, the major concern is the ripple effect. Just like if the economy crashes, there's ripple effects. Just like if our healthcare system gets overwhelmed, there's ripple effects. Uh, one example is blood donations. They're already down. Now they're down even more. So this has nothing to do with the virus itself. If someone gets in a car accident and can't get blood transfer and dies from that, that's not shown as a death related to coronavirus, but potentially it is, right? So these are legitimate concerns that we can't let get out of hand. And the other concern I have is that, again, and why I want to have this conversation is that both sides, as they get more extreme, they're encouraging the other side to get more extreme. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense. I can get more into it, but I'll sort of let you go off of that for a little while. I don't want to go too far down. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I think that that's a great uh, overview of the kind of conversation that we're going to have today. Um, you know, I think you listed out accurately both sides, the protesters' side about uh, trying to get the economy and get people back to work has been their primary concern. And then the uh, counter-protesters talking about uh, things like, um, you know, Societal's health, you know, society's health, and again, the the effect on the healthcare system. So, I mean, if you just talk broadly about both of those, I think you know, if you look at it from a macro standpoint, there's definitely, you know, there's points that you have to address from both. You know, um, I think the biggest mistake, uh, again, coming into this conversation, is if you're ill prepared to yield any sort of points. You know, if you come in here saying, "Oh, well, it's got to be this, this, that," and and, not, and I'm not going to have it from the other side. Again, it's doomed to be a, that's doomed uh, to be a fail a failing conversation, right? Right. It's absolutely. just doomed. So yeah. So the th the way that I was thinking about it is, if you come in prepared to yield points to both sides, I think that gives you an opportunity to become out uh, with the real solution, which is the goal, right? And so for me, where I'm sitting, if I'm looking at, for instance, the protester side, okay, the big point that I have for them is. Well, actually, I guess it, it, this would be a counterpoint to the counter protesters from a big, from a you know, a, a, a big picture standpoint first, and then again, you and I will we'll dig into some of these details. But if you're if you're somebody that identifies currently with like a counter protester, right? You are advocating that this lockdown extends as long as it has to uh, to ensure our healthcare system is not overwhelmed. You care about the spread of this virus. You care about the. Uh, the the, uh, the death rate, if that is your priority and you don't care about the economy, I would say that that's an error because at some point we do have to uh, address the economy. You know, I think there has to be, there does have to be a plan for the economy to be restarted. And if anybody thinks that this thing, it, like if anybody thinks the economy is currently like fine, like as is, or like if they think that this is sustainable for the long haul, 
I think they're mistaken. Right. And again, that's something that we can certainly debate, but we are definitely at a point, there, there needs to be a plan to restart the economy, to get life working towards back to where we're used to. At the same time, you just can't go out there and just say, well, we just want it now. And then, again, that would be my concern with the protesters is that they're doing it either too rapidly or they're doing it without thinking about the consequences uh, fully before trying to come up with an action plan. You know, it's not good enough to say, well, we just need it going. We just, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I do think you're right about the compassy part uh, from the government standpoint. And that's something that I have a massive, that I share a viewpoint with as well. Uh, if, you, if you look at any sort of program that's primarily run by the federal government, uh, just as an instance, and I know we're talking more about like local and state governments, but regardless, the entity of itself, if you, if you look at government, it is not, just by the structure of it, it is not prepared to run a large sector of the economy or the, a large, you know, something that like could fit in under the business branch, which is like healthcare. It's not prepared to do that. And so again, I do have some issues with, well, who's going to make the decision about when we can do what and how we're going to do that. And again, it's a lot of stress for a, a governor of, a, of every state to make that decision. And again, you know, that's why they have advisors. That's why they, they get together. Uh, unfortunately, again, the way it works a lot of times in America right now is becomes political. So it's like you're not making decisions based off of facts and where, you know, you should be headed. You're kind of making political decisions. And you see that by look at the governors getting together and it's almost down the line. Red states, you know, going with Trump, talking about the economy, trying to get it going. And then blue states, again, going more towards we got to be safe. We're going to stay locked as, as long as possible. And it really shouldn't be that. We should have a lot more cohesion. Either everybody's on the same page or a lot more dissent among all the governors, regardless of party. Yeah, and I think it's it's going to have to move that way, right? Like, that's what we're trying to – the point we're trying to get across is that both sides have legitimate concerns. And both sides hmm. – both of those concerns are going to need addressed. We can't move forward without right. reopening the economy, and we can't, you know, overwhelm the healthcare system. Both of those are not options. Mm -hmm. We need to do both things and do it strategically. So, <clears throat> also, I think what's causing some of the extremism is part of it's not the process isn't being explained, but it's also not being understood. It's not. When people say reopen the economy, um, what they mean or what they should mean, right? Like if they don't mean this, they do need to really re-examine it and again consider these other concerns, is reopening it in stages. So, and we need to have this conversation about the best way to do that because that's people's concerns is that, you know, no one was prepared for this situation, no one. and it's. Maybe the government should have been more prepared, but at the same time, um, you know, this is why central planning doesn't work. Not that we're doing central planning, but because mm -hmm. you can't account for everyone's needs. So we've reacted to a situation, shut down industries, certain industries kind of. Um, so they made an announcement that we would like businesses to close. We would like them to, but we're not making them. And then some did, and some remained open. And the ones that you know, remained open, continued to make money, and the other ones wanted to reopen because they didn't want to go out of business because of competition, and then there were certain forced shutdowns um, where certain businesses were considered essential and others were not, and so that caused more issues. So part of it is, again, just the confusion of, you know, feeling comfortable about whether or not they're going to be okay and being able to pay the bills, and that's where the competence and trust comes in. Um, but it... It really does depend on 
whether or not the government is able to provide people with enough confidence um, you know that right. they're going to be able to, to handle these things so as we reopen we're going to do it slowly in stages they're going to have to provide I have a point to make on this too here go ahead yeah, so I actually think this is a this is you know during these times and you know when there's different crises or different uh, moments of adversity, it actually is a great opportunity to de uh, deploy the principle of reflection and try to look at things and it gives people perspective. I, I mean, I, I know I made a Facebook status today on my personal page that essentially said like, "Hey, uh, security is a type of death." So like people that before this uh, coronavirus happened, most people, again, most healthy people, um, you know, were going through their day-to-day -day lives and it was you know a lot of people get into these like repetitive routines and you know they they get into a cycle of getting up eating working you know hanging out entertaining themselves and going to bed and you know that's not that's not you know in my opinion there's there's a lot more to life than that right and so this is a good opportunity to kind of reflect and take a look and take stock of where current things currently sit and then when this when we come out of this you have the opportunity to make some changes to your life um, that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise if the cycle of normalcy continued. So what I mean by that is there's a good opportunity for us all to really examine this relationship between federal versus state versus local government that uh, if you look at sort of the founding of the country and, and kind of how this thing's structured, there it was meant to really have more power reside in the local communities and, you know, the state more so than the federal government. And the reason, again, well, one of the reasons is those people would have more information to act in the best interests of their own populations, of their own societies, their own uh, citizenry, right? Um, a mayor who interacts every day with the businesses in his local community, who acts, you know, who act, who interacts every day with the people that make up those businesses, who, who, you know, make up the churches and the charities in that community, he's going to be well equipped to make more specific decisions for his local community versus a governor who's probably never met 80, you know, 95% of the people. See what I'm saying? Right. Probably more, 99%. So this is a good opportunity for us to actually kind of re-examine uh, the role of these protests at city governments, because I think all oft oftentimes we kind of overlook these things. Most people care about what happens on the federal level with the elections and the issues and the Twitter fights. But how many people actually pay attention to what like their mayor is saying or their, you know, in this instance, the governor of their own state is saying, you know what I'm saying? So I think that this gives us an opportunity to kind of look back and say, how you know, Obviously, this is a conversation that, again, we can return to after we kind of we got a corona. But again, talking about uh, how we could have reacted better or, or how do we handle these protests? How do we handle this, this question of economy versus healthcare priorities? And again, I think, you know, you, you made a good point about having it built in stages. But I also like the opinion that different regions should have different reactions. We shouldn't have a blanket thing going on where it's like the whole state needs to do this thing when each county or each uh, local population is affected differently. So, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that, again, I think this this can be a productive conversation uh, where, where, where we can where we can meet the two sides. We can really address the pros and cons. And part of me hopes that, again, each person, regardless of, of protester or if you're a counter protester or if you're left, if you're right, if you're blue, or you're red, you can kind of sit back and say, wow, uh, you know, this is why local government's important. That's not just there. That's not just, you know, 
those people that, that skip those elections, like this is why it's important because those should technically be the people right. that re help respond to these sort of crises. Right, and I think that kind of <laughs> helps me get to the point I was struggling to make. But uh, no, that's mm -hmm. right. We were kind of unprepared because we we weren't paying attention, right? We need to hold ourselves accountable. We weren't paying attention to local governments before. We didn't really care. It wasn't a big deal. And then mm -hmm. something happens and, oh, why are their systems no good? Why is this? No? These are things we knew about. <laughs> These are things yeah. that we had opportunities to fix. And it's just, well, it's not a big deal. Like you said, you're, you have a sense of security. You feel comfortable. And it's not a problem until it is, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, so having a plan, yes, that makes sense and is practical. And again, addresses both sides' concerns. So we're not going to just open everything up. But we're going to do it in a way that makes sense. If there's regions <clears throat> where there aren't high numbers and there's not high population, they can start opening first. And again, in industries where there's not mass gatherings. So just this quick side note, again, to the points of extremism for purposes of the protest even, um, I'm not sure that that was even necessarily the best method for getting their point across. So. For the protesters again any of these critiques we're trying to help you further your cause right so for the protesters what they're trying to solve the goal they're trying to accomplish is to get things open back up right by having a mass public gathering all you're doing is giving justification for the other side to say we need at least another two weeks because you guys mm -hmm. all may have just you know spread it and now we need everyone to wait another two weeks to contain it again so you know do things tactically. Do do things that are going to actually help your cause in the long run, not set you back just to make a point. Right? There's. A I think we could actually dig into this a little bit. This is good. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you had a, an additional thought or you know a certain way you want to take this conversation, Mike, just just hold it and re remember it for a second here because. Yep. So this actually is a good practical tip, right? And and this is, it kind of went hand in hand with that point I made earlier about security and kind of staying and doing the things that we've always done. Uh, to your point about utility, you know, how useful is a protest when you're trying to get the point across that we can open up the economy without putting ourselves at risk? Meanwhile, meanwhile, give me a second here. Go ahead, dog, get in there. Meanwhile, while we are trying to advocate right like you said while we're trying to advocate for the economy to open back up the protesters are actually gathering in groups and it's kind of exactly the thing you talked about which is putting that population at risk so and then you ask well how useful even is a protest and you're right um you know it kind of gets back to this thing about like local governments and and paying attention to everything it's like i don't know do you like if you don't pay attention to your local politics all of a sudden you're going to try to like get in there and, and make a big change like do we think the politicians are going to be like willing to listen? And to me, I don't know. And you know, you've got utilities now with the internet, and you know, ways to you know to, to make your cause known virtually. Uh, you know, meeting up in person where people probably aren't even are at, just so you have some form of like I guess like news attention. I'm not sure. Um, right. Yeah, you're right. I don't I don't know if that if if people will like dug into that. So again, when you're trying to find solutions to an issue. I do think, again, it becomes a mistake if you just go back to the well and say, well, what worked in the past? Well, people protested. That's always been a part of our country. We're going to protest this issue. And then they just like hang their hat on that. Like, this is what you do. When you have an issue, you just go protest. And again, I'm not saying the protests don't work or in all instances, but it's almost like someone didn't think like, how can we literally 
best influence the people that are in the middle or how can we persuade people to our side? And it's like, that wasn't fully vetted, obviously. That that would be my critique. And, you know, so I share some of that with you where it's like, you know, you're making the other side's point seem a little more realistic uh, and legitimate just by the structure of how you've decided to make your argument. Right. And, and it really does come down to that. Like, how can I, you know, get the other person to see my side, right? That's what you need to ask yourself before you're doing any of these things. And that's for both sides. Do, do you think people at, do you think people ask themselves that question or do you think it's more like we're now in a current state for a variety of reasons, maybe through social media and, you know, um, sensationalism, things like that, that are really popular right now. Do you think people actually ask themselves that before they, they, they take on a task, like, like as a protest or have their own point of views? Like, how can we convince others? Or do you think it becomes more about just showing up in force and like, just like, bludgeoning people you know like theoretically i think bludgeoning the opposition so i i think the question gets asked but it gets asked in the wrong context so people will okay. ask it either like how can i manipulate the other people mm -hmm. or how can i convince this imaginary person in my head who's right in the middle right and has right. made up their mind about either things yet but again what we need to be what you should be concerned about is how do I convince the person who disagrees with me already, right? Like they've already made their mind right. up. Like one, and it shouldn't necessarily even be about convincing them, right? Like our number one principle is truth. It's what do they have to teach me, right? Like ask questions out of legitimate curiosity because if they're right, you better want to be on their side. Um, so there should be a general curiosity behind it of why do you believe what you believe? Um, because if you're right, I want to believe that too you know um, right and then again if following those questions you still conclude that you're right and the other person's wrong and you want that person to also be right yeah you need to think about how can I present my argument in a way that's going to address their concerns so <clears throat> again that's why we want to kind of point out what the actual underlying concerns of each side are the protesters aren't being greedy and they're not stupid idiots who don't pay attention to science right that's right it's not what's happening um, the other concern I left out I'm so shocked I did is uh, mm. there are some rights that are potentially gonna be infringed upon um, right we've seen right. some limitations on, on hunting and fishing and we've seen um, it, it, we've seen some limitations on religious services um, and mm -hmm. that's it's really not a gray area uh, some constitutional scholars will have their hands full um, but again I think something to clarify on both sides especially as, let's use the religious one for an example I don't think any people who think that um, religious institutions should be closed or you know uh, under the role of government at this point you know be able to be uh, restricted people who believe that I don't again there may be a handful of atheist anti-religion people who are trying to mm. wipe out religion but I think again the majority of people just have a legitimate concern and like don't mind if you go to mass in a month right they just want the virus to be gone mm. <clears throat> and right. so calling those people right like oh you're coming for my rights you're trying to do like they're not hearing the rest of your argument because that's not the standpoint they're coming from they don't want to take your rights, most of these people, the people you're arguing with on Facebook, right? So mm -hmm. 
we need to address their actual concerns. We can't just keep talking past each other because neither side is listening. Right. Um, so I actually have an interesting question off of that, right? And I guess this would be a point made by, well, I don't know what side because we're kind of talking about uh, the re religious aspect, but I would say for those that are in favor with the Constitution, because let's be honest, even though I agree with you that, that there is clear constitutional uh, issues with that, there's still going to be people that don't care, right? There's, there, there's going to be people, like that you said, that are still going to say, yeah, but we can't risk the virus, and that's all they care about. And it's not that they are looking to necessarily pers persecute those that are going to church, but they don't want exemptions to the rule and may not understand how the Constitution works, right? And so a point that could be made... Um, I guess is, you know, putting again, and it kind of speaks to the broader point that I've been talking about so far, which is if you put the power into the hands of those as local as you can get, right? If you can get it into the leaders of the smallest groups, I tend to believe that the right decisions are made. So for instance, you know, I don't think you need the governor or, or a president to come in and say, shut down all, all religious gatherings, shut it down. Because, again, I do think there's implications there with the Constitution. You don't need that. But you could put out, again, something like guidelines where you're saying, hey, groups of 10 or more should be discouraged. Find alternative routes. And I've seen it. Uh, and I think this would, this would have happened anyways, is you find these churches, these pastors, these priests, these preachers, these XYZs that are in charge of their uh, ministries, they find alternative ways to conduct the ceremonies, whether that's a kind of like a park, like a, a you know, like a um, drive-in theater, kind of where you pull in your car and you stay in there and then he's just up front or she's up front doing the service. Uh, there's ones that are doing it virtually through Facebook, through Zoom, through meetings. And again, it's kind of like, hey, if this is like a real thing and we're getting across that we really need to take care and, and um, try to limit groups, don't you think the leaders of these institutions, these religious organizations, want the welfare of their populations uh that's that's their priority and so don't you think like you don't need somebody to come in and dictate to them they they need to be shut down i believe they would find a way to do it themselves so again that's kind of like that counterpoint where it's like i hear what you're saying people that really want to contain the virus i'm with you who the hell isn't right that's most people but at the same time you gotta be careful with this whole trampling rights thing just just take a step back there's ways for us to find the the, the middle ground and again uh my faith is the smaller you go and you get away from big proclamations from leaders of large groups you kind of get it down get it to local you get it to individual churches those leaders have every single uh motivation every single bit to protect their people they're going to make the right decision in most cases you might have a couple people and uh unfortunately the way evolution or no, not evolution but natural selection all that works they'll <laughs> you know you can go down that rabbit hole where you know if they're putting themselves at risk well then that's their risk but at the same time again i don't think we need uh, big proclamations for us to do the right thing. I like to think most people can get on that same page. Right. And I want to... Inherently, you know, inherently. Yes. And I want to encourage people to do that. I want to warn people on both sides. So, because again, right now what I'm seeing is what they're afraid of, they're encouraging. So the people who are mm -hmm. concerned about their rights being taken away, if Again, don't cede your rights, but if you don't act rationally, what do you expect the other side to do? So if we continue to just ignore all of their concerns on, on the protesting right. side, 
the automatic response is going to be, look, they're not listening, okay? Uh, we have all this data, we have information, people are dying. We need to enforce this. We need to enforce this. And as they increase their enforcement, that's going to, again, feed into this cycle, and the protesters are going to say, look, they're doing what we're afraid of. They're infringing on our rights even more, and they're going to do more pushback, which is going to lead to more enforcement. Again, <laughs> same exact concern on the other side, on, on the counter-protester side. If we're sitting here and we overstep our boundaries, right, without giving opportunity for people to do it on their own, they're going to feel infringed upon, and they're going to... Right lash out regardless because here's the here's the thing I want to get across um, the, it's the reason that they're talking past each other especially on this issue of rights is isn't that they're not even if they take the concern of the virus seriously okay it still doesn't outweigh the concern of trampling on these rights you just can't do it. like there's no threat immediate threat that's that's large enough um, that's been proven in history. That's why people fought the war to begin with over it. Like these are, these are rights that now, people will die. Now, if you had to think about that issue, yeah, now if you had to think about that issue specifically that you just brought up, which is um, rights, you know, are going to outweigh uh, the, you know, because if you think about it, you have a, a plethora of responses to COVID-19, right? There's plenty of actions that are on the table that you can and cannot take. Uh, some more extreme than others, some more practical some more theoretical but regardless you have plenty of decisions that you can make across the spectrum um and there are going to be certain actions on the table at least in the viewpoint of the governor or the president or whoever or the mayor that are on the table but do infringe on rights right like we see it and even in here we're talking about pittsburgh like there's a bunch of stuff that's happened probably in the last three years that at the local government comes into conflict with not just state but also federal law and you know all these things right so there's actions on the table some of it infringes some of it doesn't my question to you is, what's your intuition say about people actually, you know, not just saying it so that they don't, because they don't want to say the opposite or anything like that, like, like not out of avoidance, but how many people do you actually think would believe that there are certain rights that prioritize reactions to COVID-19? Because I have a concern that because things like rights aren't talked about all that much, especially in the day-to-day -day lives, and most people don't sit home at dinner and talk about the rights you know, that are guaranteed to them as, as an individual in this country. But they certainly talk about COVID-19 and the deaths and they're blasted with that with the media. So nobody talks about rights. But how, so how many people do you think intuitively actually understand that point that you made? Uh, they might have to think about it more. So I'm saying like without, without, without additional thought, you know, if you had a ballpark a percentage or just, you know, if you wanted to go off a little bit on it, what do you, what's your general feel when people so actually believing the, that there are rights that prioritize over, you know, Right, like like reactions. Well, with this specifically, like it's it's going to be important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> say it. it's going to be important to mm -hmm. whoever it's important to, right? So, like the people that these particular rights are important to, and they they value, mm -hmm. um, they will certainly notice. Again, the people, like this is what I mean. I don't see ill will on the majority of the side that says close the churches, right? Close, don't have don't have right. religious services. You can't do it. I see them legitimately seeing a problem and saying this is a practical right. solution. Like, I don't want to infringe on your rights and you can have them back in two months. Like, I, I, I don't, right? So in right. their sense, I don't see them noticing it as much. 
but that's not to say that they don't notice the value of rights because if it was a different situation where something that they valued more was at stake then I think they would hold the same position and again then that's right. what I mean so I think both sides need to look at it from both sides because in the same aspect if there was a different threat facing protesters so, just like there is now I mean there is now there's the threat of the virus yeah. so, so there's, there's it's, so it comes down to value so let me push you yeah, yeah so let me push you a little more on this thing. Yeah. Again, I think you said something profound that people aren't going to, that maybe they didn't catch the first time. You said it, it depends on who these certain rights matter to. So let me ask you this. Do you think people respect enough rights that don't apply to them in that instance? You see what I'm saying? So, for instance, let's say you take an atheist. And again, I, I get that, you know, they might. They're going to be biased, obviously, as anybody, you know, as are the, the, you know, the people that are religious. But regardless, if you look at the Constitution, there are certain rights that are granted to religion and religion institutions. That's part of the founding. That's part of the concerns founding followers had, yada, 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 right? right? So if you're an atheist, do you think atheists understand that rights, that, 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 that the rights to these religious gatherings and institutions trumps certain actions taken by the government to prevent even something as terrible as a deadly disease like that's a good point there right because i think it, right. i think what you said is right people if it matters to you 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 get it like right. if you're somebody that is religious or you do like firearms you understand the second amendment you understand you know right and uh, i was going to say protections yeah. that religious get i was just going to say yeah and you can even use the second amendment or you can even use like the um fourth or fifth is search and seizure um right like it like if right. you're someone who <laughs> follows all the laws generally isn't doing anything wrong like you may not be as concerned mm -hmm. or threatened by it especially again if you trust your government um as you are as someone else um so so again there it doesn't have to just fall under the religion or guns like it, it does cover all of these mm -hmm. things um civil rights certainly um Right. And so, but that's like the difficult part of this conversation is if you're somebody who, again, you could tie this back to the broader issue here of protester versus counter protester. If your interests or your own biases does not align with the opposing viewpoint, you still have a responsibility and a duty to step back and try to understand that side. Yes. Like you don't get to just say, yeah, but this is important to me. So this is why I'm arguing it. Like that to me, that's a huge problem. Like that is a massive mental lapse of your ability to think critically and formulate arguments and formulate a conversation. And so I, again, that's the point I'm trying to get at, which is good here is, Hey, I get that you might not give a crap about bars or, you know, right. these fast food places right. or religious, but Hey, it matters to somebody, man. You know, you don't get to just say your point of view. You got to step back. You got to understand both sides. And again, it goes the other way too, where you've got people that are trying to open up the economy tomorrow because their own self-interest is, well, I have a business uh, excuse me, I've made no money the last two months. Like, I'm, like, what am I supposed to do? Right. So we need to get the economy going. And then they may be neglecting w with their reactions or their practices other people's health. So again, it is both ways, but you you got to step back and look. It's not a self-interest conversation. It can't be. Yes, exactly. And even if, so <laughs> if you want it to be self-interest, yeah, this is the exact thing I've mm -hmm. been trying to say the whole time, I think, is that, yeah, in order for you to have a right to, you know, make your own case you have to be willing to hear out the other person you know if you don't give the other person mm -hmm. the opportunity why do you get one so 
both sides, yes, need to really start addressing the other side's concerns if they expect the other side to look at theirs. Right. Um, 100%. Yeah. So, um, did you have anything else you wanted to say on that point? I mean, you can take this conversation uh, that we talked about today and you can apply this to anything. Like, yes, we're talking about these protests specifically, but again, you can take this into your daily life in any instance where there's two people or two groups or whatever, two entities, and there is, um, you know, opposing viewpoints or opposing ideas. Uh, you can even take this in a productive manner. So, you know, let's say things get back to normal or if you're if you're still working, there's people that probably work in your department with you. And there's going to be conversation and continued conversation about how to handle certain issues that come up or day-to-day duties or the best method to do X, Y, Z. And there's going to be more than one viewpoint. There, there is, always. It's very rare that you find people that are like lockstep all the time. And so any instance, again, where that occurs, it's not just protest, counter-protest. Again, take it to work. If you step back and try to get at what the other people are saying and why they're saying it and what their motivations are, and you quit looking at just your own little bubble, which we've gotten to a very bad habit of doing, that becomes a productive way to find principle number one, which is the truth. That should be the goal. And if your goal is not the truth, now that's an issue with your operating system, the way your brain works, the way you're thinking about life. That's no good. So that's a whole that's a whole different topic. But if, if you come to the table and you say, look, I'm just trying to get the best solution. I don't care if it's mine. I don't care if it's his, hers, my boss's, the person that just started last week. I don't care. If your goal when you come is to find the best solution, part of that process has got to be taking a step back, hearing what that person's saying, even if they don't agree with you at first and you didn't think you'd agree with them, and try to at least pick out where they're coming from and maybe you can find something useful to also help you or find that middle ground. So this is a conversation, again, that can apply to various aspects of life. It's not just you know, protesters for economy and, and anti-protesters. And that's how people get out of this. It's a lot of the things we talk about, we tie in current events, but there's very underlying broad topics that we're discussing that have purpose in almost every aspect of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really good way to sort of wrap it up. Um, so yeah, I think the main point there is be open-minded, seek the truth. Um, and again, yeah, look for ways to apply these in other aspects of your life. Um, so I don't know if you want to point them to where to watch us next. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah. So again, if you guys are not already doing it, you've got to follow us on practically every social media that's out there. It's the way the world works now in the world, you know, in the year 2020. So we are on Facebook and Instagram. That is at Rams and Mental Fitness. Uh, I'll spell it once in case people don't know. It's R-A-M-S-D-E-N. That's Ramsden and then Mental Fitness. One word. Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, it's Ramsden, same, spelled the same as before, MF stands for mental fitness, Ramsden MF, and then YouTube is Ramsden Mental Fitness. Any of those platforms, and then obviously any of the audio platforms that, that do the podcast, because this podcast is audio version out uh, as well to practically everything out there. I think we'll be on iTunes within the week. That's the one that's the slowest to approve things, but you can find us on Stitcher, uh, I think uh, Spotify, all that stuff can be found. So a, a, anywhere you can find a podcast, audio content, you can probably find us, and it's just the Rams Mental Fitness Podcast. So those are ways to get a hold, to find us. Uh, we do post unique content for each thing. We're not just going to post uh, the same piece of content on all the platforms. That is kind of productive. So we try to make uh, unique postings on each of those platforms that speak to, again, the the tools that are there. So Instagram, we're going to try to do more video and visual stuff. Facebook's geared towards conversation as well as Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So find us there. And then the next thing you can do once you get up, once you get some courage is you could message us. 
or comment on something that we post. And again, we're looking to generate conversations. And a big theme on this podcast has been the willingness to put forth an opinion, but also the willingness to be proven wrong. And again, that's something that, that translates to our social media presence. So you're able to leave comments. And even if you disagree with everything we say, that's fine. Put it on there. Put it out in the universe. People will agree with you. People will disagree with you. But again, it creates that conversation, and we're happy to go back and forth with people. All right. Thanks. We'll see you guys next time. Deuces.